Hello and welcome to this episode of Fintech Focus TV, brought to you by Harrington Star, global leaders in financial technology recruitment. Head over to the Harrington Star website today where you'll be able to download our brand new documentary, The Era of Convergence, which charts the merger of traditional and decentralized finance. You'll also be able to see our new magazine, The Financial Technologists, with the Top 1% Workplace Awards. Enjoy the show and we'll see you soon. Welcome to our episode of Fintech Focus TV, once again coming live from Fintech Connect over here at the Excel Centre. I am really excited to introduce you today to Emma from Scotiabank. Emma, lovely to see you. It's so nice to be here, thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. Of course, uh, Loads and loads me. of really exciting things going on today, loads of interesting conversations. You're right in one of my favourite spots at the moment, talking about the whole world of blockchain digital assets. So much stuff going into that, yeah. it's going to be a fascinating conversation we're going to be having later today about this as well. But before we get into the meat of everything, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your background and what you do. For sure. So uh, I'm working at Scotiabank right now. I am kind of the de facto digital currency blockchain product lead. I'm working as a senior product manager at the bank. Uh, we're focused on the different applications of blockchain, digital assets, digital currency technologies, and distributed ledger at the bank. Prior to that, I spent quite a few years actually doing management consulting, but I was a blockchain for banking subject matter expert. And so I was providing advisory, thought leadership, business analysis, and some architecture work for a variety of the different traditional financial institutions across EMEA. So I have a really you know, diverse and perhaps international view on the traditional players in the digital asset and distributed ledger space. So I'm really interested in this. You know, we've been speaking beforehand about the, uh, the documentary that we just done, yeah. Year of Convergence. And it's this whole thing that we've, we've been seeing more and more about, but I still don't think it's necessarily anywhere near the idea of where it can get to and, yeah. and you know, come practice. We've seen it as uh, you know, the traditional side was de the decentralized worlds coming in to, to eat the lunch of the traditional market. Yeah. It's now much more this convergence as we're talking about between them. Yeah. So from a, from a, this is a massive question to ask around this, so you can, you can dive in as, as narrow as you want. I'm really interested in places like Scotiabank and, yeah. as you say, the investment banking world who have sort of sat there and said, this is an area we want to find out more about and we want to invest yeah. into and see the opportunity. Tell us, tell us about the appetite behind the bank to support you in that sort of journey and where it's, you know, where it's come from and, and the pathway you're on at the moment. Yeah, so I think like what's interesting is over the last years, retail, corporate and investment banking have been really focused on private blockchain implementation. Yeah. And a part of that reason is because, of course, we need to maintain some centralized ownership over the network. There needs to be confidentiality and specific workflows and transactions would need to be more shared on a need-to-know basis rather than globally broadcasted across a network of nodes where there is no identity, there's no known participants, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it makes sense that this was kind of the place of that, or the area in which we were moving. Um, it's aligned with the risk appetite of these big financial institutions, yeah, yeah. right? We can't move as quickly or as risky as the DeFi's could be. And at the same time, we need to think about corporate environments and financial institutions it's not like there was necessarily the scalability or the willingness to spend on the energy requirements mm. to bring in public blockchain. Yeah, yeah. So by having a, you know, on private, a consensus mechanism that's significantly more flexible and modular and can be aligned 
really it's plug and play, right? It can be aligned to the use case. By having that, you were also able to have a massively impactful change on the scalability, on the latency, and on the throughput requirements. So it was the right protocol to be implementing for all these use cases where we needed data reconciliation, or we needed a shared source of truth, and really bringing um, operational efficiencies to the process, and reducing frictions, and reducing data movement across different platforms. So we focused on applications where there was opacity in the processes, there was multiple players involved, multiple channels involved in these processes. Think about things like trade finance or yeah, syndicate lending um, and use DLT to kind of bring a lot of OPEX cut cost cutting, I should say, yeah. uh, cost cutting and cost reduction to these spaces. And now it's starting to change, yeah, which yeah. is super interesting. And I think a piece of that is because we've just pushed private blockchain as an industry quite far. It's a different conversation to be had over <laughs> what gets caught in POC land and production land. But in terms of the actual applications, it's been pushed quite far. And so now institutions are looking at okay, how can we be working with digital assets? Whether they're a means of collateral, a store of value, or a means of payment, and how can we leverage the pieces that DeFi are doing right? Mm. Because they are doing a lot mm. right, right? And there's certain use cases where there's a use to have tokens on a public marketplace, yeah. or to have proof of provenance on a public marketplace. And so now we're starting to see that shift and interoperability of private, or, or not even just interop, but also the convergence of private, private and public environments really coming together yeah. in well, one. That creates a whole wealth of opportunity, doesn't it? And, and I think this is, a, this is kind of part of this inexorable collision that we're seeing. Yeah. There's probably been exemplified by the sort of, um, you know, the volatility we've seen over recent weeks, you know, as, we're, as we're filming. We're still very much in the storm of, of everything that's been happening in the blockchain you know, and, the, and the, the digital assets markets. And crypto has blown up in a fairly spectacular way. And a lot of people <laughs> are sort of you know, writing that off and saying, told you so's, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, to me, it's the complete opposite. This is now the phase of the next evolution of where the markets go and where the opportunity lies. And you've said some really interesting stuff there about, you know, I guess, the, 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 the potential and the power of the technology that underlies it, which is where I think a lot of the excitement in banking has come from, from, from all of this. Exactly. But also combined with the opportunity to say this is, a, this is a viable asset class, and within that, if you can get the right infrastructure around it, it's good for the, for the DeFi companies to then move into this area. Well, this is it, right? This is it. And I think there is so a couple of pieces to what you said. One piece is that regardless, there's a rule for traditional financial institutions to play, and you pinpointed it. Yeah. We need certain infrastructure and banking infrastructure that the DeFi's need, yeah. and we have the expertise to provide. Yes. And you spoke about the risk earlier on, that they're able to take more risk. I don't think they are anymore, <laughs> or not to the same sort of level. Exactly, exactly. And at the same time, it's infrastructure, it's standard setting, it's knowledge and KYC and AML, it's the existing ecosystem relationships that traditional financial institutions can bring to this space in a way that DeFi's don't have yeah, yeah. right now. So that's one piece of it. But I would say, you know, the other piece of it is that I, I agree with you that bear markets are good. Mm. Bear markets are, well, FTX wiping away, you know, millions and millions of, of yeah, market, <laughs> market valuation is not great, don't get me wrong, but I think in general bear markets you see a lot of very succinct innovation that wow. has to be ironclad. It has to be so strong if you're going to go raise around, yeah. right? Yeah, in, yeah in this market. Yeah. So where you're seeing the investment coming in is not hype cycle investment, yeah. but it's really some of the strongest technology applications. And we can look historically over the last crashes and see that some of the leaders now were incepted throughout that time. Yeah. 
And then the third piece of that, which you also pinpointed to, is it is our job as an industry to to get this message out and decouple the asset layer and the protocol layer. Yeah. And also educate that the asset layer is not just cryptocurrency. Crypto yeah. is one application. Yeah, yeah. But that asset can be data. That yeah. asset can be a private digital currency. It could be a stable coin. It could be a central bank digital currency. It could be an NFT. And this is where a lot, right? this is where a lot of traditional people, I think, have the problem with it, yeah. don't they? They're looking for it to be gold, or they're looking for it to be a physical, yeah. a physical asset. But actually, it's not seen as. You know, and crypto, I think, is the sort of uh, yeah, the goat. It's the poster boy of the whole scenario. This is it. But there's a lot more behind it. There's so much more behind it. And it, it, like, so the protocol layer is kind of what we were talking about before of like bringing this data reconciliation and, and reducing costs. It's really happening at that network layer. Yeah. But like I said, even at the asset layer, it's not just crypto that's the asset. It's mm. anything of value. It could even yeah. be tokenized fiat. It could be tokenized representations of real estate, right? Yeah. All it is, when we think about it from a technical perspective, is that that asset layer is the utility. It's the coin you put in the gumball machine to make the network work yeah, yeah. to make it commit a transaction and so that doesn't always have to be a crypto yeah it, it, most time i would say maybe it probably isn't yeah, yeah. a crypto well, that's right the, that's the natural journey i think and the pathway for it isn't it for it to go like that i think the other thing that you just mentioned there is is the investment and we've seen a lot of companies i think goldman have been very much in the, at the forefront of this mm -hmm. where they've, there's, there's been tens of millions of pounds that have been invested you know, to make these you know, into into this as a, as a world because it's so exciting for people to look at and they can see now in traditional finance the potential opportunities that are yeah. behind it. But I think this is quite an interesting time now for companies to be able to justify that. I was speaking to someone over there and from a meeting with a client of ours and we were talking about raising. They raised last year and they said, would it have been, you know, they, they, they've been backed by a fairly significant asset manager. Yeah. Would it have been as attractive for that asset manager to be able to release that sort of funding at that sort of time in, in that area? based on what we've seen in the marketplace over the last couple of years. So talk to, oh, last couple of months. So talk to me about how you feel, you know, if we look forward to 2023, yeah. what, what, your, what your thoughts are on the, the ability for companies to, to gain that investment and to get those rounds and to get that funding at that sort of stage. Yeah, I mean, that can be that can be a that can be a break to the industry. Right? Certainly, and I mean, it's not necessarily my world in the sense that I'm not, you know, Web three VC, but I would say like one thing that we're going to see is a bigger focus on due diligence, yeah, regardless, yeah. right? Yeah, this yeah. was part of the mess of yeah. FTX. It was like all these investors coming in because the investors who led the round were trusted investors in the space. Yeah, and so you oversee due diligence. You have a time locked window. Accidents. Yeah. I don't know if we'll call it accidents, but accidents happen, right? And so I think that we're going to see a bigger focus on due diligence, certainly. And like I said, I think where we're going to see that investment coming in is when you have the ironclad business case, the ironclad technology innovation, and the right team behind it. So mm -hmm. it's not going to be we have a certain amount of our fund to put to this technology or to put to DeFi or to put to Web3 and, you know, looking to take some riskier investments, some more stable. I think just in general, we're in a bear market. So the investment side is just going to be more focused on the players who had every piece of the puzzle and That's not good. the hype cycle. But I think the other interesting piece, not from an investment side, but what this brought to the industry is also a bigger focus on regulation. So mm. I think that our regulators, I am just guessing, but I think that they're probably looking right now at what level of reserves are required yeah. for these CFI exchanges, yeah. um, what level of transparency mm -hmm. of these reserves are required, yeah. and yeah, what does your liquidity pool look like, right? These are now gonna start to be pieces and then even from the tech side, we saw Vitalik come out with proof of solvency. Yeah. So we're also going to start to see actual like protocol level innovation on this too. So I think that 
It's not great. But it's good. I think it's it's not great, but it's better though, isn't it? That's the Things whole thing. Come out of it. This is about real money now, and yeah. and, uh, and and the sort of regulation that I think is necessary that you see in every other space yeah. you know, of, of banking has been, you know, fairly fundamentally lucky in, in decentralized yeah. finance. It's, it's, it moves it much more to a, to a play there where people's investments need to be protected better than they have been so far. So whilst you might not have this sort of Wild West uh, boom and bust sort of scenarios, you've got something there which, is, which creates all of the opportunity that we're talking about in marketplace from the start. I think it's quite exciting. But you know, it's that, I, not to cut you off, but I have to point this out because I had a conversation yesterday and it was the first time I had heard this point made that um, it is that, but if we're afraid that this taxonomy for digital assets doesn't exist and by saying anything that even access utility has to fall into security and now has to go through that regulation, which is going to give you massive barriers to entry and yeah. probably stifle innovation. Yeah. The other option here is to put really strong consumer protection on these things. Yeah. Make it like gambling, make it yeah. like smoking. Yeah, make yeah. it very clear that you can lose your money. Yeah. It's at your risk to invest and to keep it in that space so that we give the space also a little bit of time to create a better taxonomy. I think that's a really more. interesting point. Yeah, right? Because people are going into this like it's like it's monopoly money to, to a certain extent, isn't yeah. it? It doesn't feel real to people because potentially some of the returns that people have seen and when it was up and up and up, it sort of became an idiot's game and you saw people who were then doing it and that's, that's it, you've, you've been exposed by it. Let's let's move away from yes. the investment side and get into, <laughs> into your uh, core area of love. Let's look at that 2023 and what you think is going to happen in the marketplace because yeah. as we said before before filming, Anyone who was sort of sat there being a speculator in 2022 was probably wrong. <laughs> they sort of sat there. So I'm not going to hold yeah. you to anything here, but I'm really interested to see your take on what's exciting and what we can expect to see in the market in, in the year ahead. Definitely. Like I said, I'm not in the art of prediction. <laughs> um, but I think that, yeah, you know, to set the stage of what, with what I said at the start, where we're starting to see this new focus on interop, a new focus on bringing DeFi in yeah. and bringing coins in, I think that some of the applications that we're seeing right now are, of course, tokenization of commercial bank money. Mm -hmm. This is really important because, you know, our big win as a financial services industry is when we get on-chain settlement. Mm -hmm. Because right now we have clearing and we can issue assets and we can fund assets. Yeah. But where are you actually innovating treasury, liquidity management, reconciliation, payments, is when you can also bring atomic settlement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now there's only a few models in which you can actually do that. There's, you know, public cryptocurrencies or public stable coins, whether they're you know, one-to-one -one backed or um, market-rated like cryptocurrencies. And you can imagine that a lot of traditional financial institutions don't have the appetite to be working with those currencies, mm -hmm. right? We're operating in a different risk model. We're regulated businesses and we our number one business is keeping our customers' money safe. Yeah, yeah. So even if there's only, you know, an FX risk for a few seconds or a few minutes, when that's scaled to hundreds of millions of pounds, you could see that that yeah, risk yeah. becomes massive. So that's not always an appetite. The second piece is pre-funding, but the problem with pre-funding when you're talking about cross-border payments or cross-border settlement and the interbank activities is that other than USD, maybe Euro, other banks might not necessarily want to be holding you know, different foreign currency positions. So yeah. pre-funding is difficult. So we have central bank digital currency, which yeah. we're mostly waiting for, and the tokenization of commercial bank money. And I think like we're really going to see an increased focus on this this year, aligned with CBDC. I hope. Yeah, <laughs> that's the plan, isn't it? And there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity that comes in inside that as well. You've you, you, you said at the start, and this has been an international viewpoint for yeah. you. You're looking at it on a global basis, and I guess it's a very global play as well, isn't it? That, that, yeah, the whole world of this it becomes a very small world all of a sudden. Do you see that there's any any sort of real um, 
I know that you know, the, the government have always talked about wanting to make this and they're standing by this in the UK. You know, a crypto hub, some yeah. of the best places for crypto businesses to drive themselves further forward. They're standing by that assumption and that's something they want to invest into. Where do you see opportunity globally? Where's, who, who's going to be leading the, leading the, the, the charge in 23? You know, I, it's funny because I think we can look at it two ways, right? We can look at the players and where they're based and what they're doing mm -hmm. and uh, the adoption from the central bank point of view. So, yeah, you spoke to the UK, of course, you know, here we've seen... HSBC doing a lot. We know Corda is based here. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like really, really great companies that are based here. Bank of England is starting to, yeah, yeah. you know, do a little bit more work on this space. Across the EU, there's been many key players. The European Central Bank is, you know, doing their CBDC pilots. Mm -hmm. um, the regulatory like taxonomy in Luxembourg and in Liechtenstein have been super interesting. And even Mika in the EU has yeah, been yeah. very interesting. And so yeah. that those types of actions are part of what helps bring opportunity to the space. If we're looking on the APAC side, of course, Singapore, Bank of Singapore has been super involved. Temasek yeah. has been super involved. HSBC in Singapore has yeah, been yeah. super involved. So uh, I'm getting a bit convoluted, but I think the point is what we need to look at when we're assessing opportunity is where are these players based and actually doing the POCs or with what currencies are they working with and doing some of this work and innovation with? Where are they issuing the bonds, right? Switzerland, I can't not mention Switzerland and UBS and SDX. And then the other piece of it is where are the central banks? Where are the regulators who are yeah. interested in this technology, who are trying to engage in this technology? And there will be missteps, but who are embracing it as well. Where are they based? You know, and we, so we match those. And I hear a lot of, of um, you know, I guess critique of the, the regulators saying they really don't yeah. know, it's, you know they, they don't know how to deal with this. You know, it's an area there where they, where they can come in. But I think even you know, uh, SBF himself was saying that the regulators haven't got a clue about that sort of thing, which yeah. then gave the opportunity to, I guess, mould the system to, to, you know, to, to, yeah. to work for him. So do you think the regulators can, can make an impact here? I do. I do. I do think that they can make an impact here. I think you're right. They get a bad name. But, but mm. the reality of it is, like, consumers at the very least should be protected, right? Yeah. This was the point I was making earlier. Like, yeah. at the very least, we have regulators to stop many of the malicious actions that have happened in the past, yeah, yeah. to stop the 2008 financial crisis from happening again, right? Like, there, there's a reason that these frameworks are put out, and it is to protect us and our money. Yeah, yeah. And so there will be missteps because it's not an easy technology. Yeah. There's been, you know, certain jurisdictions that look at actually governing the technology, which I don't think is the right move. Yeah. We don't need to justify why we're setting up a cloud-based network. We shouldn't yeah. need to justify why we're setting up a DLT network. Yeah. But um, I think that when it comes to the security side of it but, and the deposit side of it and the reserve management and risk management side of it for the consumers, we need regulators to be mm. in this space. Otherwise, we're going to continue to see, you know, these FDX-esque yeah. implosions. Yeah. And that's an interesting aspect as well, isn't it? Because you, you, you do you do look at the sort of scale of, of, of innovation that's happening in the space. Yeah. And to keep up with it at that sort of level is a very, very difficult game it is. to get into. But look, one, one thing's for sure is next year there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of yeah. new things that are going to come in. There'll be banana skins, but there'll also be accelerators. Yeah. And I think it is everything that's happened this year just puts it on a really exciting trajectory to see what can happen. So we'll watch it. We'll have you back on the show and see how these, pr these uh, predictions oh. have uh, oh, <laughs> no. come through. <laughs> Circle back on it and you can be proved absolutely right. I hope absolute so. pleasure speaking <laughs> to you today. Thanks thank so much. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you. Thank and you. Thank you very much for watching. We'll see you soon on another episode of FinTech Focus TV. Thanks for now.